You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. Before we start the show, if you have a story about surviving a cult or a high demand group, and you'd like to talk to us on the show, please email us at info at onbelief.com. We'd love to hear your story, and we can make you anonymous. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Season 2, Episode 18, Narcissists. Previously on On Belief, we've discussed narcissists in the abstract. Keith Raniere was described as a narcissist by guest Catherine Oxenberg. When Donna Anderson was on the show, she discussed narcissists as they pertain to romance scammers and love frauds. Today, we're going all the way back to the beginning to discuss what is a narcissist, how do we tell who they are in the population, and how do we arm ourselves against their charms? With me today is W. Keith Campbell, who is an internationally recognized expert on the subject of narcissism and author of several books on the topic, including The Handbook of Narcissism and Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Welcome, Keith. Keith, since you've written the book on narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, can you define for us what a narcissist actually is. So usually what we think of a narcissism is somebody who has an inflated view of themselves and a sense of entitlement or interpersonal callousness. So they think they're better than other people and they're willing to, to exploit other people to um, keep themselves looking good or feeling good. So there, there's this core sense of superiority and entitlement. And that's the, the core feature of narcissism, but there seems to be a couple different forms we, we run into. And most of the time when we're talking about narcissism, we're talking about, you know, politicians or celebrities or whatever, we're talking about this more grandiose form, which also has a lot of extroversion and charisma and charm and energy with it. So it's a combination of this, this callousness with this, or this sense of entitlement with this energy and charisma and charm. And that's the, that's so more grandiose narcissism. So I think, you know, Iron Man and the Marvel movies or whatever is kind of a grandiose narcissist in that sense. And then you get this other form that end up in therapy more that are have a sense of entitlement and think they're better than other people, but also have some low self-esteem and are insecure and think they don't get the attention they need. And... Um, and they're more vulnerable narcissists. That's what we describe them as vulnerable narcissists, sometimes insecure narcissists or covert narcissists because you don't see the narcissism up front. And so that's the so these two forms of narcissism end up being talked about side by side. And what gets confusing is that sometimes people say, well, those grandiose folks, the the dominant politicians who are, we won't name in both of our countries, for example, deep down inside, they're really insecure 
and they're really, you know, meek and attention seeking. And that's just not the case. They seem to be two different forms of narcissism. What do we know about the preconditions that lead someone to have narcissism in the first place? Narcissism works like most other personality traits and that there's a there's a good chunk of heredity to it that we it's passed on through probably our genes. And so like all traits, some we're just born with some of it. Some people have a predisposition to become more narcissistic. Some people don't. Parenting has a little bit to do with it. Not as much as I think people used to think. It's not as much as I used to think. But what we find is that people who are more grandiose narcissists tend to have parents that are a little more permissive and maybe put the, put the kids on a pedestal or... Um, you know, spoil the kids. Sometimes they talk about the you know, spoiled parenting. And with kids that are more vulnerable narcissists, what you see is really the more cruel, cold parenting that you see with a lot of personality disorders, really a lot of personality damage. Parents who are, you know, cruel and manipulative and withhold love and do all that, they damage kids. And, and one of those ways it can come across as vulnerable narcissism. And then there's the there's another chunk of it we just don't really know. It's just general things in your life that can happen. So it could be social conditions, it could be the culture you're in, it could be, you know, your friendship group, it could be whatever um, that seems to increase or decrease narcissism. Narcissism is sometimes used as the insult du jour and a lot of times people are misusing it to describe a person's behavior. What do we misunderstand as a society about narcissism? There's narcissism, which is a personality trait, which is something we all vary on. We all have some, you know, I could measure your narcissism on different scales. I could use a grandiose measure. I could measure vulnerable narcissism. And you would line up somewhere on a nice bell curve compared to the rest of the population. What happens at the extreme of narcissism, and, it, and it's usually a combination of grandiosity and, and some vulnerability, but at the extreme, it can become problematic. It can, be, it can become, quote, clinically impairing, mean it means, meaning it messes your life up enough that you're seeing a psychiatrist. And when that happens, it can be diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. When people use the term narcissist, they can be using it to mean, hey, that's somebody's sort of high in trait narcissism, just like saying, hey, that person's an extrovert. You know, I mean, an extrovert is just somebody sort of extroverted, not clinically extroverted. So they can be using the term that way, or they can be using the term like that person has a clinically you know, significant level of impairment that they need treatment, and they probably represent 1% or 2% of the population. It's so rare how bad their narcissism is. Explain to me how a narcissist goes by undetected in their day-to-day -day events. There's a couple, a couple things. One, and I think this is you know, really important to understanding narcissism, is that people who are narcissistic are often very likable when you meet them. They're, they present well, especially if they're extroverted, they have self-esteem, they have confidence. Um, these narcissistic traits are traits we, we sort of like in people in the short term. We like them in public. We like these traits, you know, in people who are successful a little bit. We find them entertaining in people. 
So it's not like people who are narcissistic or, you know, out there, you know, with these terrible traits, they're, they've got some good ones. The traits that are that are more negative with narcissists, which are the more antagonistic, we'd say disagreeable, antagonistic, callous, you know, the sense of entitlement, the manipulativeness, the exploitation that that happens. Those things come out later in a relationship or in any sort of uh, any sort of interaction with people. You see the, the 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 negative stuff pops up over time more. The good stuff pops up first. So it's it's very hard to detect. And then what happens is you say, I, you know, I dated that guy. He's the most narcissistic and SOB on earth. And somebody goes, Oh, he he seems really nice. <laughs> you know, he's great. And so it, it's hard to see unless you're in that situation, or what we find in, in a lot of the research is narcissism becomes apparent to everyone over time. But in the short term, the way it's almost the way it's apparent is that it's appealing in the short term. We do research with thin slices of behavior. So, hey, watch a video clip of somebody talk for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And people who are narcissistic are liked in those 30 seconds. People are, yeah, that's a likable person. So when I find, I mean, I find people who are really narcissistic, especially the more grandiose forms, I find them very appealing. I, I'm drawn to people like that. And then I, my radar is going off so hard in the background, you know, the red flags are going off. It's danger, Will Robinson and all that. You know, we can swap world leader stories, which is really fun now across both borders. But Justin Trudeau is hilarious to me. I mean, every time that guy sees something, he's like, oh, I better take off my shirt. You know, Cry, you know, oh, no, there's a crisis in Iraq. Shirts coming off. I mean, he's great. Like, he's hilarious to someone who's not dealing with them, you know, and, and, and Trump, I think, is appealing to some people because he's he's humorous if you're not in the vortex itself. You know, there's these characteristics are. You know, that you know, this is why people rise to power, because of narcissism is they can be they can be appealing. If you had to give advice to somebody on what things to look for, what red flags to look for in a narcissist behavior, what would you say? You know, I, I think some of the things we talked about with the grandiosity that, you know, if you're really drawn to somebody quickly, I, I always think you know, process that a little bit. But if you if you're really trying to understand some in a relationship, what you see in the moment in that in the dialogue or whatever might not be the best way to judge the person. What's probably better is look at their track record, look at their history, look at their relationships, look at their standing in, the, in a community, that kind of thing. Look at how they treat people. You know, I say look at how people treat staff, look at how they treat the computer people in the building. You know, you work for whoever. I mean, you know, you go in an office and the, and the, the tech people know who the narcissists are because they get stepped on. So you, you look around the person because if you're dealing with somebody narcissistic and they're trying to put a good face on, you're not going to see it. They're going to be extroverted, likable, and you're, gonna, you're not going to see it necessarily. You know, I'll get a red flag warning, but I'll still think, ah, that person's, they seem so confident. <laughs> Yeah, they talk with their hands and seem so confident. That's that's leadership. That, you know, I get sucked into that stuff all the time. 
Um, but you go, well, what's their track record of leadership? Well, they, you know, this catastrophe, this catastrophe, this catastrophe, what's their relationships like? Well, this divorce, this horrible relationship, this bad relationship, what is their business career life? Well, bad partner, bad, you know, you just start, start seeing patterns and you go, well, these patterns are probably going to repeat. And if this person's as good as they say, why is their life like this? You know, so you, you, you kind of look for reality more than than fantasy or what they're presenting as reality. Most people would probably agree that they have experienced narcissists in their workplace. But what do we actually know scientifically about how narcissists behave in the workplace? There is starting to be actually some some work and it it it's a it's complicated in some interesting ways. But first of all, just the basic issue of the workplace. The people there's people who sort of in any organization, pitch in kind of team players. Sometimes they get stepped on a little bit. It can be they can do it too much, but they they make the organization work. They're good organizational citizens. And there are other people who are sort of counterproductive. That's the technical term: counterproductive workplace behaviors. Basically, people who sexually harass, steal stuff, you know, do, commit a little fraud, that kind of thing. Narcissism predicts people who are who are counterproductive. It predicts sexual harassment. It predicts white collar crime. It predicts um, uh, revenge against the company, all sorts of negative things. And it, it doesn't really predict the other stuff. It maybe negatively predicts some of the more positive things in the workplace. So it's narcissism is not something you look for in a workplace. It's something you tolerate. Okay, so what do we know about narcissists in romantic relationships? Same pattern. What you find is you find, um, I mean, I call it a chocolate cake model, and sometimes this helps people make sense of it. But, but the idea is if I give you the choice between eating chocolate cake or you know, a healthy salad or something, if you're me, you're like, I want the chocolate cake and you eat the chocolate cake and you get this big rush and you're like, that was great chocolate cake. And you get kind of, you know, real excited. And then about 20 minutes later, you feel like hell. You're like, this sucks. It's not healthy. I'm a bad person. Why am I doing this? I have a problem with chocolate cake. What's wrong with me? Why do I always choose the chocolate cake over the salad, right? You choose a salad, you don't get any rush. You just eat the salad, but 20 minutes later, you're like, yes, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I ate a salad. I feel like a decent human being. Uh, I like myself. And that's kind of like the relationships with when you find people in relationships with narcissists at the beginning, they can be more, they can be more exciting that, you know, oh, I'm dating this person. It's so fun. They're so confident. We're, it's so um, exciting is a word they use a lot. Exciting. And then as the relationship progresses and they're like, okay, now's the time when we have commitment and intimacy and trust that never comes up that you don't find that instead, the person, the narcissist you're in the relationship with is so exciting that he's, you know, hitting on your sister or whatever, you know, doing crack and a whatever I can. There's so many stories. They all just come into my head at once. Sorry, but but you end up just you end up just with somebody who's a horrible human being because they're all they're out cheating or doing what else whatever else they're doing, and that's the challenge with those relationships. They're a bit like 
you know, this high, high and really low, low and the, and the lows are really bad. And when people get out of them, they're, you know, they, they suffer afterwards because they don't understand it. It can be very bad, but at the beginning, the relationships with narcissists are often more fun. They're more appealing. And that's why people are drawn to them. People who are nice and normal, you know, they're just like, you want to date him? You want to date her? She's just normal. You know, she has a, she drives a normal car. <laughs> You're like, what fun is that? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. It might be somebody you'd want to have a relationship with. It wouldn't spend all your money, you know, crash. They seem probably pretty sane. That's not what fun is saying. So that, you know, it's a challenge. It's, and we get relationships. People get drawn to narcissists, everything. And same with work, same with politics. It's just appealing. To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.